This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am Beverly Isla, your host. Thank you for listening in today. So we have Darren Binder with us. He's a co-founder of City Dogs and City Kitties Rescue in Washington, D.C. And he'll be talking to us about his story of starting the organization as well as creative ways they run their campaigns. And I think talking about the ways that they can do, organizations can find funding um, creative that they can step into and and I think it is a crucial topic in the animal rescue industry so I hope Darren's story can inspire other organizations so when we get back from these messages we will hear from Darren take a bite out of your competition advertise your business with an ad in pet life radio podcasts and radio shows there is no other pet related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than pet life radio With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with co-founder of City Dogs and City Kitties Rescue based in Washington, D.C., Darren Binder. Thank you for talking with me today. Thanks for having me, Beverly. Now, let's start with your story of how and why you created the organization. I mean, everyone has a unique story and I appreciate that. So with the number one challenge for organizations needing funding, it seems you guys have creative ways of doing so, partnering with local artists, having a theme challenge such as the Betty White challenge. So maybe you could talk about that as well. So let, let's start with your story. <laughs> Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. About 10 years ago, my husband Dave and I started the rescue in Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. and honestly, uh, we really were targeting maybe doing rescuing three dogs per month and about 35 or six a year. And that's what we wrote on our initial insurance application. So 10 years later, we have rescued over 9,000 dogs and cats, and it has really grown considerably over the time in a way that neither of us really planned on or had intended. The background was that Dave owned a dog daycare center in DC. So he offered us the ability to keep some of the dogs there at, you know, without charge while they were awaiting adoption. So that's kind of the model that we started with. But what really ended up happening was we shifted from that model pretty quickly to one where we just have hundreds of fosters throughout the DC area that foster the dogs and cats. So we don't really rely too much on the daycare as, um, you know, sometimes we do if an emergency comes up and we need to place, you know, a, a a dog there. But 
Yeah, we had a, a huge embrace really from the community of, of volunteers. I mean, we're, we're mostly volunteer. And so we rely on that model. How did you find them? Like it started with you, just you two rescuing yeah. a few dogs. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's pretty interesting because like neither one of us really had rescue experience. We had a friend who had done some work and she helped us initially, but really this whole all came about because I saw a Facebook posting of a black lab in Georgia that a friend had posted and it was a beautiful black lab puppy and kind of broke my heart because I, I had one, a black lab growing up. And it really struck me that they were going to put this dog down simply for lack of space. And it just, mm, yeah. It just hit me. And, I, and you know, growing up in the Northeast, we didn't see too many like stray problems and all that kind of stuff for some reason, I guess. You know, animals can't really survive in the winter easily there anyway, but um, it just wasn't a huge issue. But I think that what I discovered in living in D.C., that there are certain parts of the country where, you know, there's a, just a, a lot greater overpopulation problem that there is in other parts. So I think a lot of animal rescue I've certainly discovered is moving dogs and cats from places where there's too many of them to areas where there are actually maybe too few of them. And so that's kind of our model. And it's a model of a lot of rescues, certainly on the East Coast, and I believe on the West Coast as well. So we decided, hey, we can't let this dog get euthanized. I mean, he looked great. And so we got a bunch of friends together. We all chipped in and, and paid for you know transportation to come up in certain fees. And we had him in... Um, in DC for like two days and we were walking around and a woman who also had a black lab growing up saw us because he had an adopt me vest on and she ended up being our first adopter. And we're like, okay, so we have a dog that was on the verge of being put down for no other reason than lack of space in an overcrowded shelter to like having him in DC in two days and him being adopted into a great home. So we're like, that's kind of how it all started, really. And we're like, well, how can we not do this when, and obviously it's not that easy all the time. There's a lot of issues that come up, but that sure. really was kind of how we developed. And the amazing thing about DC is we just had a lot of interest in volunteers. We got really active on social media. We had some volunteers who are excellent at, you know, posting. And now we have like 50,000 followers on Facebook. And that really helped spread the word. We did a lot of actually a lot of social activities also. And I think it's easier to do sort of in a city environment where things are closer. Yes. That attracted a lot of interest. And um, we did a lot of fundraisers at local you know, bars and restaurants. And it just sort of grew that way. And that's how we got our fosters. So that's a sort of a long way of answering your question, I suppose, of how do we get so many fosters? But you know, now it's something that we recruit for all the time because- for us, getting a foster means we can have, we can save an additional dog or cat. Right, exactly. So it's really important, you know, and so we just get the word out and it's a lot of work because we vet new fosters all the time, but everyone we consider to be super valuable to us. Yes. And I'm glad that you did mention that because apart from funding, it is the fosters that can keep that organization alive. Absolutely. So that's awesome that you guys are able to get a, a large following. Yeah. And, and, you know, 10 years in, we have two and a half employees at this point. We have an executive director, an operations director, and a part-time office uh, administrator. And the rest, we literally relied hundreds of volunteers to do the work that we are responsible, you know, for doing every month. So it's quite an operation. But as I said, it's, it's really volunteer-based. 
Yes, yes. I'm glad that you guys are so very involved in the community. You guys have social events almost every week. <laughs> yeah, we try to. You know, we usually have adoption events, and you know, we try on a weekly basis. Of course, now with COVID, things have certainly you know changed that. But we also try and have as many you know social events as we can, also because we want to make a rescue fun, right? And right, it's been challenging during the COVID times, but. You know, we do as much as we can. And I think there's a lot, you know, there could be a lot of heartache in rescue. So you want to yes. balance it out by making good friends and working as a team and, and doing fun things. And I think that does attract folks to, to help out. For sure. For sure. And what have been your results with doing the social events? They've been great. I mean, basically, when we got started, we really leveraged a lot of the local businesses in the, in the community. Um, we were located in, we kind of got our start in Logan Circle, which, you know, has an, a large LGBTQ population. And we were very supported by the businesses in the community who, you know, we did everything from, you know, having events at drag bingo to just bar crawls and all that kind of stuff just to raise money. And Again, we try to make it fun, right? And so, and that's how we also were able to leverage support because it felt very local to all the, a lot of the businesses and, you know, to our friends and colleagues and other volunteers. So that's kind of how we try to keep that alive. Oh, bingo. I never even thought about that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now with the local artists, talk to us about that. How'd you connect the dots? That is so interesting. You mean for our capital campaign print that we just did? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. So 10 years in, we find ourselves in a position that, okay, we have this amazing organization, but we don't have a building. Okay. And we had a rented space for some time, but we had to leave that space because the landlord needed it for some other reason. And, and it's hard to get space in DC if you're, you know, if you are having dogs and cats, you know, come in and out because landlords don't love that oftentimes. And so we just needed, we really needed to get a space of our own. And after a number of years looking, we found a property that is not in great condition. We're going to have to, sp- we're going to have to spend a lot of money renovating it, but it's going to be our home base. And we started a campaign called We Are Home because it's, it's our home base. We want to be very influential in the community and be a base for volunteers to come and go and help us and participate and have adoption events. But at the same time, the We Are Home campaign was about what it's like for these dogs and cats to come in to DC from being, you know, in a place where, you know, they didn't have much care. They were on the verge of being put down and they're in a scary shelter and they're coming to a whole new environment where this is going to be their new home. And we're going to place them in a really good home. So we worked with a local artist, David Labrazzi, to come up with a print that would kind of capture what we felt was the amazing work that was being done in Washington, D.C. And, you know, you hear a lot about D.C. on the news, right, for politics and all kinds of things that are happening. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's been a lot of battles and all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes. Parties (laughs) and, and, and everything. So what we wanted to do was highlight something that, was something that here's a community 
of people who spend every week rescuing dogs and cats from very difficult situations. Something you don't hear about on the news. It's not political. It has nothing to do with anyone's political party. You know, we have all folks who represent us. And this is something where we can all come together. So that was part of the theme that we asked the artist to work with us on how do we capture that? And so what we did was we created a vintage style print. Like if you think about those, you know, some of those travel posters from the 50s or 40s, kind of in that style, sort of retro style, where we had him depict a dog and a cat, you know, sort of dancing with joy, kind of getting to DC with the monuments in the background, with the motto, we are home. And to us, it symbolized both, you know, like I said, the new life that these animals were going to we're going to experience and the joy of being in a new situation, how their life has changed, as well as the commitment that our community has, because this is home for us, too, you know, beyond the politics and all that stuff. Right. DC is home base for, for a lot of folks. So we've been selling them and they come in two sizes, 24 by 36 inches and 11 by 17. And folks can get it on our website which is the link for that is cdca.cc slash W-A-H print, just in case anyone's interested and wants to see it, but they are limited edition and signed prints. That is amazing. That is so great. Got to do the plug. So sorry for that. I got to do Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're just going to have a quick break. And when we get back, we'll continue talking with Darren about his creative ways of raising funding. Molly, here's your dinner. (coughs) Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Darren Binder from City Dogs at City Kitties Rescue in Washington, D.C. So before the break, we were talking about how you partnered with local artists and raising funding in super cool ways. So your the recent one is the Betty White Challenge. Yeah. Okay. So we have to raise about a million dollars a year in fundraising. Whoa. Okay. Now, a chunk of that comes from adoption fees. Okay. But the rest of it comes from constant donations. And and we have to get donations by going online and you know presenting different cases where we're going to need the money to get you know a dog or cat into the city and these are the issues that the dog or cat is facing and a lot of them require a lot of medical attention and yes. we have a very supportive community but it's a constant job to raise money and and by the way of that dollar amount about i would say 60% probably is just the vets yeah, it is. Like that's wow. that's how much we spend on medical expenses is probably 60% of our budget or more. Um, we probably spend over, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars a year on 
and just vet expenses. So, so anyway, when we decided to get this new building, we were like, okay, well, now we need to raise money to, to fund this thing. It's not cheap. So we decided on doing a capital campaign for the first time. And we set a goal of raising $600,000. And we started that in June of last year publicly. And I'm happy to say that we are at about 480,000 right now so we tried everything to you know raise funds and we had a very supportive community but one of the things we did do was we have sold rooms in the place in the new building to those folks who might want to donate it in memory of somebody or in honor of a pet or just for whatever reason and we did have an open room and then you know, we were all following Betty White's soon to be 100th birthday and very disappointed that she wasn't able to make it to that. But we knew her lifelong commitment to animals. And we said, you know, I bet you that all the goodwill that she's done, that there are enough folks in DC who'd want to support a room named after her. And what we decided to do is create a Betty White tribute room in our new building when it's when it's built. And we raised probably $23,000, $24,000 from, I think, 400 donors at least. And we're still raising some funds to support that because a lot of people really were moved by the work that she's done. And they wanted mm-hmm. to you in some way on her, you know, on her 100th birthday. That's when we got most of the donations. And, you know, as I said, we're still raising funds for that, but in a way it was, you know, sort of being creative because, you know, it was something obviously we hadn't thought of before. Um, We desperately need the funds, but we also really wanted to honor her. And um, now we're going to have a room that, you know, well, I'm sure we'll have a lot of memorabilia about her and and have a room with a plaque on, on it. And it's supported by all those folks who don't donated and you can still donate if you want. And I got to give another plug. Plug away. CDCK period CC slash Betty. We'd love uh, for folks to continue to contribute. It's, you know, we just think it's a win-win. It's an, it honors her and it's going to help us, you know, save even more animals. So, you know, we're always looking at new ways to to raise necessary funds. And I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of rescue is about fundraising. You, you yes. can try and avoid it, but if you want a successful <laughs> rescue... You really want to focus on that from day one, because I think one of the hardest things is for new rescues. And you know, you sort of touched upon this in the beginning is it's really costly. While we do get different discounts at vets, being in a major metropolitan area, even with those discounts, yeah. it's still super expensive. I mean, imagine how much it costs every time you bring your cat or dog into the vet on one issue. Now multiply that by a hundred dogs and cats every month that we get in, many of whom have not had adequate medical care. And we also, you know, spay and neuter them. Most of them have not had that procedure done. So my encouragement to those who start rescues is that really think about fundraising. And and yes. we found a lot of success on social media. Um, it's getting harder though, because I think it's particularly on Facebook, which we've relied on a lot in the past, it's not as easy to get your message out and not as easy to get it um, seen by as many folks as it used to be. I think you know, with changing algorithms and all that kind of stuff, but it's really important. You know, you have to have the heart to do it, number one, but you also have to figure out how are you going to sustain this? Because I exactly. think a lot of rescues are not able to make it because of the financial resources. So, I mean, I would advise, you know, talking to your local businesses, you know, can you do a 
you know, uh, some type of event at their place where you get a part of their profits? Or can you have sponsorships in the organization? Um, Will folks contribute on a regular basis? Um, All those things add up. And um, eventually, you know, you get a much stronger base. Now, if you would have said to me, Darren, would you have been able to raise $500,000 in seven or eight months? I would have said, I would not have expected that because it seemed like a daunting challenge, but we really, really pushed and pushed and pushed to get as many resources as we could to help us on a project. And I, we all went through our LinkedIn, you know, friends, our Facebook (laughs) friends, and, you know, if somebody happened to work at a business that might support us or a friend of a friend of a friend who might do this might help us. we, We did reach out to them and, we, you know, we got turned away in a lot of places, but we also, you know, had some great success. So sure. my advice is you just have to have a lot of um, persistence in the rescue world. And it's not easy, but it's certainly worthwhile. Yeah, I can imagine. It's just constant reach outs. And wow. Yeah, working with some local rescue organizations here, they're really struggling in that area. And yeah. it does take a bit of thinking outside the box. So that's why it makes me so happy when people like you do exactly that. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear, like, I mean, I have a full time job, you know, fully outside of this work. Wow. Most of Still us juggling. Are, yeah. Most of us, you know, all of us on the board are, this is just a volunteer activity. I mean, one that means a lot to us, but we have to balance it obviously with our family and work lives. But that's why we also rely on hundreds of volunteers in the community who also have full time jobs and balance all these kinds of things. So, I mean, it's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. If you have the right folks, you can pull it off. It's not exactly. Easy. Yeah. Finding yeah. the right people is another thing too. <laughs> and it constantly changes, particularly if you're in an urban environment where there's a lot of folks who move in and out, you know, the folks that who might be your best volunteers two years ago may not be the same ones you have now just because of, you know, changes that go on in cities. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we wrap up, what are your top tips on what not to do? when it comes to starting and, and running funding projects? You know, I think one of the things that we've always prided ourselves on is being transparent. And we really, really want to be completely forthright in things that we do and information that we share and why we're raising funds and the costs of what we're facing. I don't think people realize, you know, why we always have to raise money all the time. You know, it's not fun. It's not, <laughs> it's not glamorous. Right? So I think... What not to do is I just wouldn't, you know, mislead folks. I would be very honest and say, you know, we're expecting a $2,000 vet bill, let's say, and we need to raise these funds or we're not going to be able to get this animal because you can't continually pull animals if you don't have the funds to do it. Because, you know, as much as you'd like to, somebody's got to treat these animals and there's a lot of fees involved in this. You know, you sometimes you pay shelter fees. Sometimes, you know, you have to pay boarding fees, all kinds of veterinarian expenses. And so I think what I really, really recommend is just explaining to folks what it takes to the adoption fee that everyone pays, you know, for their animal typically does not pay for probably, you know, half the cost that it costs us to, to get these, these, these animals. So, my recommendation is always be transparent and you know why you need the funds and and where it's going. And I think that's really important. You don't have any flight costs though. You only take in local animals or do you fly? No, no, no. We um all of our animals are coming from, you know, we're in DC. So our animals are coming from West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, some from Puerto Rico at times. 
Um, but all of ours require either our volunteers to drive down to get the animals or we rely on transport that we pay for because um, we don't always have volunteers who can make that long trip. And, and right. don't forget, this is happening every week. So we got to have a regular schedule in order to get the volunteers, you know, ready to get the dogs and process them when they come in. So it's not like you can just do it kind of like haphazard. I mean, you have to have, you know, a specific schedule and many rescues like us on the East coast rely on transports that, you know, start in Florida and go all the way up through Canada, oftentimes and dropping off animals to different rescues on the way. Wow. It's really interesting. I and mean, that's not that's something I never knew about, but there are caravans of these, of these, uh, you know, trucks in different ways of getting the animals up there, vans really, that go up every weekend. And, you know, they don't just go to city dogs, they go to a whole bunch of places. And that's what makes it more affordable because we all kind of chip in and, right. but, but we have to pay these fees because someone's got to do it. And there's liability, of course, you know, they have to pay for their own van and labor and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, even though we're not for profit, I mean, there's a lot of expenses that we have to face. Yes. Yes. I'm glad that you mentioned that because exactly what you said, a lot of people just don't know. So when they see an organization saying we, we raised $30,000, well, most of that is, is pretty much gone by the time it's received. Right. And honestly, you have to try a lot of things. We have an auction every year that in before COVID, we used to raise up to $75,000 on it. And we used to like spend months and months talking to, again, every single person that we could possibly think of who might have a business or might want to donate you know, a gift certificate or an item or something. And that was really popular. Now with COVID, we kind of backed away from doing some of that stuff just because the businesses were were really hard hit. Right. I mean, you got to be creative. And like one of the things that we did this year was a calendar that was, um, you know, we had a contest of, you know, uh, the top 12 dogs and cats that were voted on. And we raised $30,000 off that calendar. And I got to Beverly that this is one that I didn't think, you know, I'd heard this suggestion in the past. I'm like, I don't know. I don't think folks really use calendars anymore. You know, it just seems like, <laughs> you know, it's all digital. So I was a concern that we're going to sell money, but I was completely wrong. And I mean, we did really, really well on that. So like, you never know. And, you know, some things could do really, really well that you're not expecting and, and also vice versa. So you got to, you got to just put it all out there and see what works best for your organization. That's awesome. Yeah. Number one lesson, don't make assumptions on how well things are going to go. Right. Or don't, or don't listen to me. Yeah. (laughs) 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 That's awesome. Well, we are out of time. Um, I really appreciate you coming on today. And thanks to our show producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. You can view their work at citydogsrescuedc.org. And I really hope listening to Darren's experience will give other organizations some inspiration on how they can raise funding for their projects. So if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for our show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.